You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. This is a podcast from ComediansComedian.com. This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and I have been sitting on this episode for months and months. I recorded this conversation in, uh, what, June, July? It must have been July of 2016. And I sort of don't know why I've, I've sat on it for so long. Uh, there's been a lot of uh, interviews in the meantime that I've, I've wanted to get out because uh, the guests have had particular tours or things they wanted to promote. I wanted to give them as much lead-in time and, and help them shift as many tickets as I could. And I, I'm pleased to report that's been successful here and there. Um, also, I mean, I, I, I definitely came away from Edinburgh and Montreal last year with a, a surfeit of riches, if that's a phrase, is it? Something like that. Um, so I, I basically have got a few episodes left over. I've got one from Montreal with Mark Forward that I've yet to release. I've got one from Edinburgh with Joe DeRosa that I've yet to release. Uh, I've recorded another one today with Rachel Paris. Phil Wang is coming around tomorrow. So basically, we're, we're, we're turning out content all the time, people. But the reason I say all of this uh, in my slightly long-winded introduction to this episode uh, is that it was such a privilege to meet with this person having been introduced to their work by James Acaster, in fact, a couple of years ago, I just immediately fell in love with what this man does. And I, I suppose I've been sitting on it. I sort of was kind of keeping it for a special occasion or something in the back of my mind. Anyway, look, it doesn't matter. It's here now. And what a privilege it was to speak to almost certainly the nicest person in comedy, if not one of the nicest men I've ever met. And definitely one of the funniest if you're if you're British and you cherry pick and you don't listen to guests you don't recognise, you're probably going to miss this one and you're an idiot because this is one of the best, one of the funniest people on the planet. It's Brian Regan. I'm very excited. This is the shortest podcast I've ever done and it feels more exclusive because you're about to go on stage here in Montreal and we're grabbing you for an exciting 30 minutes before, just before you walk out there. Thank you. I appreciate you wanting to chat with me, Stu. You're, you're so welcome. Tell me about your act outs. Right, so with the point I was making is we're going to go straight in hard mm-hmm. with, the, with the raw stuff. You are, I think, the king, the absolute master of a physical act out of a bit. You make an observation and then you perform it. You act it out to just an incredible extent. Ah, well, I appreciate that. I, um, I took acting in college. I was not a good student at all, but one of the things I remember learning in acting class was you're supposed to fill your stage. 
you know, as an actor, they, they, they weren't teaching anything about stand-up comedy, but as an actor, they said, you're supposed to use, literally use the stage. So that's the, the one thing I learned in college was to try to utilize what you have up there. The stages are pretty wide, and I've always been intrigued with how little of these stages many comedians use. Yes. So I like to kind of use it. But you're, I mean, if we think of a moment like in, uh, in I Walked on the Moon, your mm-hmm. special I Walked on the Moon, um, when you are, one of the first ones you do is that you are, you're being someone looking for a parking space and you're moving the steering wheel through your hands and <laughs> looking around to find yourself. And I was crying laughing. Now that's not about simply using the space of the stage. True. What true. else is going on there? Well, I want, I, you know, I mean, I think jokes, they, they say jokes are pictures. You know, I, I've heard that expression that a, a joke is really a picture. And even a, a, a word joke, you know, two guys walk into a bar, when somebody's hearing that, they're picturing something in their head. So um, I don't trust my words. So <laughs> my words aren't enough. So I have, to, I have to hit people over in the head with a mallet to go, if you can't create the pictures, I'll create them for you. So, I mean... And in, in addition to that, or concurrent with that, um, a lot of my bits are really vignettes. I didn't even realize that until one day I sat down to try to do some work. <laughs> I was like, I've heard about people doing work. I should try this work thing. So I wanted to script out my act. And uh, so as I'm writing it out, it dawned on me that most of my jokes are plays. They're, they're little plays. They're little vignettes. It's me and another character, or it's me and an inanimate object. It's me and the eye doctor. It's me and a refrigerator. It's me and a microwave oven. It's me and a flight attendant. It's always a little scene. Not always, but oftentimes. And the only way that'll work is if I play it out. You know, if I just say the words, then it's not enough. And you, I mean, you must have seen a lot of other stand-up comedians over the course of your career who don't do anything like that kind of, who don't give anything like that attention to detail that you give. So what's your, why do you think you in particular have ended up doing such, such expansive act outs? I I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't know that there was ever like a super conscious decision to be physical on stage. It was just more of an evolving kind of thing. Um, in fact, years ago, one of the, one of the first times I realized that I actually moved around on stage was one of the first TV things I ever did. It was this cable show in New Jersey and they were filming a bunch of comedians and, um, you know, it was a big deal for me. I'd never really been on TV before. I think it was called rascals live like done at Rascals Comedy Club in New Jersey. So I'm one of like five comedians on the show. So I finish my set and I, I go back, you know, to where the camera is. And at a break, the cameraman takes me aside and says, Hey, because I, <laughs> I got to talk to you, buddy. You know, I can't do a Jersey accent. I say, well, what's up? He goes, you got a real problem, man. <laughs> I'm like, I do. He goes, yeah. He goes, you were walking around all over the stage, back and forth, and it was a real pain having to move the camera back and forth to capture what you were doing. He goes, you got to learn how to stand there like everybody else. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> Great advice. Yeah. <laughs> Fortunately, I didn't, like, write that down and go, you know, that, that New Jersey cameraman is right. 
<laughs> so I thought, well, maybe there's something to this. Maybe I should make New Jersey cameramen work. <laughs> and we, and something I said to you when we met in the small hours of this morning was one of one of the most fun things to watch, particularly in I Walked on the Moon. It's a very small stage you're working on. It's an mm-hmm. improv. And you, in between bits, you're, you're almost like dancing like a boxer. Do you know what I mean? You do this thing with your shoulders where you're... And I'm recreating it now, which is pointless for podcasting. Purposes, <laughs> but um, you'll, you'll do a bit and then like almost like in the moment of... It's like you've landed a blow on the audience and then you kind of take a couple of paces back into the side and you're kind of loosening your shoulders and then you start another bit. It's Yeah, it's, there's, there's a reset uh, associated with it. Um, because I want the overall thing to be a real person on stage. You know, I, I think if, uh, if it's, if it's just clown like and just physical and just silly, then it's not rooted in reality. You know, I, I, I want the audience to see a real person that they can relate to, that they can say, Oh, I know a person like this. There's a person like this in my family. I work with a person like this. I can relate to, or I'm like this person. So I want there to be, to be a reality to it. Um, and then when I'm talking about real things, I'm occasionally going to go off on an exaggerated tangent or some goofy feeling about it. And that's when I get silly and goofy and physical. But when that bit is over, I want to quickly get back to, Hey, this is the real me. It's still a real person talking. Okay. And is that something you've had to learn along the way? Or is that a principle that you had in your mind before you started? I don't, again, some of these, I guess, are conscious decisions and some are not. That, I think, is probably just more instinctive that um, <laughs> maybe it's like, a, I don't know, I think every performer gets on stage because they want to be liked, you know what I mean? And I want that audience to know who I really am. I want them to like the real me. I don't, you know, people just laughing to me is empty unless it's associated with you know, a, a connection to a real thing, a real person. So I want them to see the real guy that is thinking these thoughts. So that's why I come back to, hey, man, it's me again. So when you were when you were taking this piece of paper and writing out your, your act or typing out your act, for the, for the first time, mm-hmm. you'd previously, prior to that, you'd always just got up and said funny stuff. And well, I mean, I, you know, I'd written things down and that sort of thing, but I hadn't, like, you know, kicked myself to the degree where it's like, wow, this is a craft and this is a job and I'm really going to work at it. You know, um, so it isn't like I had never written anything down, but there was that time when I decided I want to apply do this as best as I can. I want, if this is what I do, I want to do it as best as I can. And so that's what led to me, all right, I'm going to get on the computer. I'm going to script things out. I'm going to work on words. I'm going to do all of that, you know. And, and in that scripting process, is it, uh, one of the questions I wanted to ask was, is it possible to write an act out? Or can you only ever write the observation and then say the observation and then just play with it on stage? <laughs> You know, I use VIS for visual. I use SFX for sound effect when I write these things. And I often wonder, like, when if somebody were to read this without knowing what I do, could they possibly understand <laughs> the humor in it? Um, sometimes when you do a TV taping, they require the material ahead of time. You know, that happened on the Letterman shows. It happens when I do Fallon. So I, I write it out. And, you know, I have what I say and then I put visual, you know, drinking coffee or whatever, SFX, 
you know, glug, spit glug, noise glug. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it can't possibly be as good in a reading form than it is when you're doing it on sure. stage. But I, I mean, in the, in the planning of it, when you're working on a new bit, if you're yes. going, okay, I've got my new coffee bit. So you're imagining, okay, there's an observation, like a written, you write the words about coffee. That's the observation about some way that people treat coffee. Do you then just kind of put act out? Like I'll, I'll come up with something on stage to no, I'm very, show what I mean. I'm very anal. I am very, <laughs> I'm very meticulous and I'm very, I wish there was another I word. I wish last... there was another word for anal yeah, that was more good? complimentary <laughs> in nature, you know, but, um, meticulous is uh, meticulous. I from. When I write visual, I pre in my mind, I'm thinking if somebody 300 years from now is reading this, I want as best for them to understand what the visual is. So you're almost doing notation. Yes. Exactly I will write what out doing. what the visual is, you know, uh, you know, mime opening microwave door. That's SFX, astonishing, Brian. SFX uh, screech noise associated with that. You know, I, I write it out. And when you when you, if you, you then take a newer bit on stage with those things written out, and you kind of you've learnt. Okay, I'm going to open the door and I'm going to do that. Are you then writing on stage as well when you you open the door, but you do it in a particular way to get a laugh? And so you go, oh, actually, I maybe if I move my hand, maybe if I open the door with more. You know, Vim. Well, actually, I, I write it after I've done it a few times and where I feel like it's okay. worthy of writing out. So you're so, keeping a note of it rather than creating it. Yeah, the creation process is just me in my head and me doing it on stage. And then when I feel like, oh, this is a bit, then I will write the visual and the SFX and all of that. Okay. I don't write that. It's not... That doesn't come... I don't put the cart before the horse in that sure. regard. It isn't... Uh, that would, I, I don't even know if I could do that, to write that and then go try to do it. Yes, okay. I have to do it first and then write it afterwards. And do you spot yourself doing, this, doing familiar characters? Like there's a particular, I think I read in, in a review of one of, your, one of your shows that there was something like, a, the phrase was, a panicked lack of ideas. <laughs> like, <laughs> which I thought was beautiful. I'm, like, I can't, I'm afraid I can't credit wherever I got that from online. But that, that is absolutely... I don't know if I've come across it. That's, that's a flavor that you absolutely do. That look in your eyes. And it's a very clowny sort of thing <laughs> to say. I don't know if you've studied kind of clowns specifically, but something people say in a lot of clowning, like contemporary clowning, is that we're seeing a man suffer. And he's like, do less. They always used to say to me when I did a clown course, do less, suffer more. And do you know what I mean? And we see it in the eyes. We see, oh God, I've screwed this up. So we see your panicked lack of ideas. Does that resonate with you? That's yeah, one of the- yeah. No, I don't. I'm not familiar with that quote, uh, but it's funny to me, and there's truth to that. And um, I, I also think comedy, a lot of it has to do with point of view, you know. And all different points of view are valid, you know. But my point of view is that I wish no one no harm, and I think that's important to the comedy. Is that I'm not, I'm not purposely trying to make someone feel uncomfortable or. You know, like the bit of, hey, when's the baby due? You know, uh, I'm, I'm the one feeling bad that I'm saying that to a woman that's overweight. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, yeah. and, and so that, that uncomfortable moment is because this is a good guy, a nice guy that means yes. no harm, that's inadvertently causing harm. That to me is, that's more truthful to me than somebody that, might just have a joke about slamming somebody that's overweight or, 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 you know what I mean? That, that's, that, that's a, a harmful, hurtful kind of comedy. 
And I'm not saying that that isn't also valid. I like I love all kinds of comedy, but that's not my point of view. Is it to do with empathy? Because I, you're clearly one of the things that's always said about you is that you're the nicest guy in comedy, and so far that you know my experience of you reflects that you're you know you're a really nice guy. Thank you. And I wonder whether you're that whether there's something in the same part of yourself when you're being nice is because you have empathy and you want people to feel good. And some of the joy of watching, again, to go back to the Walks on the Moon, the guy who has been an astronaut eating chips whilst <laughs> listening to some blowhard. The, the detail, the joy in the detail of that is in watching someone knowing perfectly well that they're about to shut this guy down. But it's got real empathy. It's got such humanity because this, this guy that we're, that we're associating with you in that story, he's not going to, hey, guys, I walked on the moon. He's just... Well, I mean, this you know, is a I, truthful thing, this and is I'm looking thing. forward to sharing it and with you. So, and so we, I think, we as the viewer, kind of get we we love you because we get that you love your characters. Yeah, oh, no, I appreciate that. And, and that's very kind. And, and I also think that people relate to the reality of that. I mean, everybody's been in a situation where you're at a dinner party with somebody that won't shut up about themselves, you know. And it's like it's fun to get back. And I think. Uh, laughter is a way of getting back. Uh, an audience member that watches that, just by laughing, they feel good about that going, I, I don't maybe I'm reading too much into this. No, I don't think you are at all. This is, the, you know what I said about being pretentious? Yeah, this is the place. This is the place. This is the pretentious part. I would like to think that these moments that make us feel uncomfortable, when we realize other people have these same moments and we're all ultimately good people, we feel good as a team. You know what I mean? It's like, wow, we're either going to win as a team or we're going to lose as a team. And even if we have moments where we lose, we're still a team and we, we win in the long run. So this is Brian. What a joy. What a joy. I mean, we, I, I got to speak to him in, um, in a, a, an environment that was very like, as you can probably tell, uh, we referred to on the episode, um, it's, uh, it, I, I felt a little bit like I was meeting Madonna backstage before a gig. It wasn't a huge, it wasn't like a sort of an arena type performance, but it was a, a big enough gig. Several hundred people at, uh, at a, a beautiful theatre in Montreal as part of the, the Just for Last festival there. And, um, I, it looked like Brian wasn't gonna make it in time and I knew only he had half an hour because he's, uh, you know, not, not as well known in the UK, but a huge, huge star in the States and huge touring comic, doesn't do a huge amount of telly. Um, and I knew that I had very limited time and he was literally going to need to go and get ready for the show as soon as we finished speaking. And it was just one of those lovely things of, um, of me getting there, being all nervous, being a little bit late, him then being, oh, I think I was on time. He was a little bit late. And then he spoke to his people and, uh, and said, oh, no, no, we're, I'm going to do the full half hour here. And I just thought, oh, that's how nice is that to actually be respected by someone who doesn't know you and frankly has no reason to, uh, to behave like that. So it, Enormous thanks go to Brian. I hope I run into him again soon. Uh, and I hope you're enjoying this conversation. Obviously, it's, it's very brief, necessarily. Uh, I had limited time, time with, uh, with Brian before this show. He's a very busy man. But uh, I hope you're enjoying it. And I really hope you seek out his work on YouTube. My advice would be not to listen to his work. You've really got to see him. So much of it is in the act out. So much of it is in the face, the hands, the frame. And, uh, and the eyes, it's just an absolute masterclass in physical 
stand-up. Oh, I don't know, is that the right term? In, uh, in performative stand-up. Something like that. Watch his stuff. If you've listened this far, you know him already. Or if you're, uh, if you're one of the good eggs that listens to... Not, you don't need to listen to all the episodes, but some people sort of shy away from episodes with people they don't know. And I'm, like I said, I'm aware people in Britain won't necessarily be as familiar with Brian. Um, then congratulations to you for coming this far. Please continue that journey of discovery and seek his stuff out online. So... Other news, I have got a belter of an episode for episode 200. I will not reveal who it is because until it's in the can, I'm not going to relax. I'm not going to sleep until it's in the can and I've got a lot of prep to do for it. But uh, for episode 200, fast approaching in a couple of, what is it, six weeks or so. Um, Very, very excited about that. So please uh, keep listening. Subscribe to the show if you haven't already. Uh, If you have uh, uh, the inclination all the time, you can always leave us a review. Uh, Us? Why do I always say us? It's not like you're reviewing Daryl. Do you know what? Can you all get on on iTunes and leave a review of (laughs) Daryl? I think Daryl deserves a five-star review. This is Daryl Smith, the editor of this show. Um, I think he deserves a five-star review for his significant work. So everyone, everyone get on, uh, on iTunes and give, give Daryl a five and say hashtag thanks Daryl. Um, if you don't want to review the show and you're able to support it in other ways, then please put it into the phones of uh, mobile devices of people you know, uh, comedy fans and so on, and just fans of the creative people who are able to listen to things while they work. I think that's a big demographic of uh, the listenership, big slice. Uh, and, of course, you can be like many, many others, like... Uh, uh, well, I can't remember names. Who have we had? Who have I emailed back today? I do reply to every single person that donates to the show um today i emailed beth and i emailed eric and i emailed someone else whose name i can't remember uh beth eric and frank frank as well so thank you uh thank you to all of you who donated if you would like to join them then uh, you can go to comedianscomedian.com forward slash donate and chuck whatever money you think this show is worth at me and if you fancy if you're really into it then you can set up a recurring payment for for example two pounds uh, other recurring payments are available uh, and that's a monthly payment that you can use to support the show and show your appreciation. And uh, I use that money to make the show better and to do fun, exciting projects and bring you curveball guests and try new things and uh, try and make good stuff happen. So please get on that if you care to. Yeah, please. Uh, the please was me being polite, not pleading, right? That wasn't like, please. That was like, please get on, get on that, please. Thank you. Uh, so there we go. Um, that is that. Finally, I'm going to do a quick, a quick tour shout out. Is by many, by now, many of you will know comedianscomedian.com forward slash tour. Who knows from your perspective when you listen to this? Perhaps it is already happening. But these are the places I'm going in February. I'm starting off on the third of February in Southend, and then very quickly after that, in an order but not specific day, day by day, we're doing Southend, Pool, Canterbury, uh, a work in progress, and a tour show in Leicester as part of Dave Leicester comedy festival and then oh i mentioned this on facebook some of you know i'm supporting jack whitehall brilliant comic uh, on an arena tour on part of his arena tour so i'm doing wembley twice then nottingham sheffield and birmingham i'm sure all of those are already sold out um but uh, if you are a listener who happens to be at one of them as, as has happened in the past already uh, do give me a shout let me know you're going to be there uh, then back to my own tour crawley the the comedian in brighton uh, i'm going to be doing excess malarkey in manchester then i'm in dublin at Whelan's can't wait to get to Dublin if you're a, a, a listener in Dublin get in touch uh, email me info at comedianscomedian.com or uh, join the Facebook group and tell me you're going to be there it's very exciting uh, then I'm going to be in Exeter then Bath Harrogate then the Glee Club in Birmingham I'm playing uh, that's we're into March now it's the 5th of March the 6th is Hull 
The ninth is Shrewsbury. The tenth is Bristol. I'm at the Hen and Chicken in Bristol. Fabulous comedy club there, the comedy box. Uh, then I'm going to be in Glasgow at the stand on the 13th of March. Then Newcastle, Darlington and Leeds. And then me and the Boutros and the Boutros's mum all go to Melbourne for the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, which, yes, you guessed it, uh, the Boutros's first ever flight will be 26 hours long. That's what spoiled Christmas because uh, in the back of our minds and sort of in the background, the back of our retinas the whole time, it was like, oh, oh God, oh God, that's going to happen. Uh, after Melbourne, I come back and there's a load more dates. So I'm going to be at the, the Secret Welsh Festival. I'm going to be in Aldershot and Northampton and Cambridge and Sheffield. And I'm just saying them now so they don't feel left out, but I'll, I'll shout these nearer the time. Uh, Cardiff, where else? Then I'm getting married. No, Hemel, then Warwick, then Soho. And then I'm getting married the following weekend. So, you know, quite a busy year, anyways. That is all of that stuff that I need to do. If you are on Facebook, you can join the Facebook group and talk about the podcast with like-minded idiots. And that's a good place for me to get back to you as well. I, I sort of try and stay fairly uh, sociable on there. And also, if you see any uh, advertising for the show anywhere, if you want to... If you're living in one of those towns, I mentioned one of those cities, and you'd like to be a cavalry posterer and put up some posters in your place of work, you can email me info at comedianscomedian.com with a subject line cavalry. Uh, and generally, just, you know that, you know the way Facebook algorithms work? Facebook algorithms work? I don't. Maybe you do. But basically, if you click like and share and you comment on things, then they become much more sticky and then you engage with them or something. I don't know. I don't, basically, if you see a thing with me in it, click all of your available options on it and my money goes an infinitesimal amount further Ugh, i didn't even like asking then i do a lot i've been doing a lot of asking recently for the tour so anyway look uh pin back your ears and enjoy the rest of this conversation with brian regan when you make decisions for your company you look for the no-brainers if you have a lot of mailing to do stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. What is it do you think that makes you, you, Brian, so keen that everyone be happy, that the team succeeds. Like, there's a lot of comedians, you see a lot of comedians out there who want the, they want to enjoy the sensual effect of a room full of people laughing and applauding them. You know, I, I've seen a sort of 10 comedians last night at the variety 10 to watch thing. All brilliant comedians, very different degrees of generosity. Hmm. What, what is it? do you think in in you as a man that that means you are preoccupied most with making sure everyone the team's okay i don't know i mean you know i'm i'm, I'm sure everyone's childhood childhood is going to affect their adult life so you know i grew up in a big family with eight kids and you know you're in the middle of the pack and i don't know like in my family i just I just wanted everybody to be happy. When I was in school, I wanted everybody to be happy. I, I've always been, this is going to sound, 
You warned me. Of, <laughs> I did warn you. You warned me of Normally this. Normally, we'd have had half an hour to get to this point, but we're on a time limit, so I've got in half. I, I feel so <laughs> awkward when there's somebody out there that just listened to my joke about donut sprinkles, and they're going, how does he get this kind of depth? How does he possibly think there's this kind of depth in a donut sprinkle joke? But um, I, I just like that. I'm not comfortable when anybody's uncomfortable. If I'm at a party and there are 40 people in the room and some people come in that you can tell just got there and they're looking around and they feel like they don't fit in, I'm not comfortable. <laughs> I want to go over there, especially if I'm the host. Hey, how you doing? Welcome. Boom, boom, boom. Who are you? Introduce them to some people. I'm not comfortable until everybody's comfortable. So maybe whatever that sickness is helps with my comedy because I want everybody to be in on it. I, I wonder if I feel something very similar. I'm a middle child and I felt I don't want to make guesses about your home life. So it sounds fine. But um, I always felt that I, it was somehow my responsibility to make sure everyone was getting on. Because when, when there was awkwardness at the dinner table, it would always be me that jumped in and cracked a joke. Mm-hmm. Like somehow I'm taking this on me. Mm-hmm. And I wonder what that is. Cause I really, that really resonates with me. That sense of like, I, I've got to, I've got to make sure everyone's okay or I'm letting the side down. And a lot of people don't feel like that, do they? A lot of people go, Oh, look, that guy's standing over the wall. He's not really interested in the conversation. Yeah. I, 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 I want to go over and I want to throw a life preserver. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's... I stand on the deck with a, a bunch of life preservers and throw them to anyone who needs them. I yeah. Don't know why, I don't know why. I, when I was a little I, kid, when I was a little kid, there was our teacher one day said, everyone needs to bring a number two pencil for this big test. This is the test, you know, to get into the high school. If you don't have a number two pencil, it has to be number two. You're not going to be able to take the test, and it could affect your future. So you brought 100 number two pencils. <laughs> well, everyone in my class, I felt, was like wise enough to realize you need to bring a number two pencil. But I look over at this guy next to me, <laughs> Danny Averill, <laughs> who I hope he's out there listening. Real funny guy, real nice guy. And I looked over at him, and I thought, he is not going to bring a number two <laughs> pencil tomorrow. <laughs> I know it. I know it. So when I, I went home and I put two number two pencils in my in God my bag, it, and I went back to school the next day, and I and I also you know I, I had that sense of show business. I don't want to tell him at the start of school. I wanted the moment. You want to see? I the wanted moment the moment. I wanted the moment. And the teacher said, "Okay, remember I told you, you need to bring number two pencils." And I just looked over at him, and he had this look in his eyes, like, "Well, there goes his future." <laughs> And she starts handing out the, the tests, and uh, I pull out my number two pencil, and I look over at him again, and he's just panicked, and he's sweating, and I went, Danny. And I pulled out the number two pencil. I said, I brought one for you. And the look that he gave me was so, <laughs> I mean, I still remember it. I still, I still remember that look of appreciation, and... Um, it's just interesting to me how easy it is to make somebody feel good. It took a pencil. You know what I mean? I don't know. I mean, I'm patting myself on the back too much. But I, I think that is part of my comedy, too. It's just, you know, I, I just want everybody to have a good time. Edit, edit this whole last story out because it sounds very self-serving. <laughs> no, absolutely not. We'll, we'll change the ending. So I took this pencil out and I jammed it in his face. <laughs> 
Do you? I was saying. Oh, do you spot familiar? Uh, do you spot familiar characters that you're doing, like the pan- the panicked guy, or the you know different kind of flavors, different emotions that you do? do would you try and make sure that in a in a show, in a tour show, there's a, a spread of emotions? Uh, yeah. Like in the same way, you wouldn't talk about one subject, right? You want to vary them. It, it it seems to me like usually if somebody starts to get defined a certain way. A comedian in particular, they might think, oh, I'm on to something. I'm going to write more like that. I've always done the opposite. (laughs) As soon as I feel like I'm being defined a certain way, I I think, okay, I'm doing too much of that. And I write away from that. So I used to have all, you know, a lot of the dumb, feeling dumb fantasy jokes, which are truthful because I feel like that a lot. But I also... Get angry about things and have anger fantasies. So as soon as I felt like I was reading too many of those kinds of descriptions, like Brian's the guy who always feels dumb, then I would go, all right, well, they need to see another part of me. So I have a lot more anger fantasies in my in my show now, you know, where I'm acting out about things that bother me about people. And um, so I want them to see a more balanced human being. That's a great answer. It ended abruptly, so I'm going to look at my next question. Thank you. <laughs> um, can you just... Walk- and then I took a number two pencil out, and I jammed everybody in the face. When we're... Let's look at some of the observations you make. One of my favorite observations, uh, it was on um, the epitome of hyperbole, which was that on a book, they keep reminding you of the title of the book on every page, mm-hmm. which is wonderful. That's like, you know what I mean? You, you've got this incredible double skill set of just br- really good observations and brilliant act out. Oh, so thanks. let's talk about the observations. When you notice a thing like that, are you, do you walk around trying to notice stuff or are you just blithely living your life and then something will occur to you, you make a note of it? Which way round does it go? I... Did you like take the idea of books and go, right, I'm going to do something with no, books? No, to me, it's, um, I've tried that, and I admire people who are good at actively trying to find comedy. Um, I, I found that that isn't really how it works for me. For me, I just kind of do what I would normally be doing, and then every once in a while, I'll see something. I, you know, what's weird, like the book thing. I probably looked at, <laughs> you know, the title on the top of a book, hundreds of times before the 101st time you go, well, why is that there? I don't know what in a brain makes somebody click it over to joke level. Because it's like, well, I noticed it 100 times before and I it wasn't funny to me. And then at 101 time, I'm like, wait a second, that's weird. You know what I mean? That's what comedians do. We, we occasionally notice things, the humor in something that somebody else doesn't see. You know, another weird analogy I use is those... 3D hologram posters, mm-hmm. you know, everybody's looking at it and you go, there's a dinosaur in there. And it's like, I don't, I don't see the dinosaur. No, you got to look at it. You got to relax your eyes. And then after a while you go, oh, I see the dinosaur. I think that's humorous like that. You know, comedians have a way of occasionally seeing the dinosaur. So do you have any strategies if you've got like a, do you, are you, within your working life, are there situations in which a deadline comes up and you've got to come up with some new stuff so that you're like, so if you're under pressure to produce stuff. Or is your kind of creativity now based around the tour roles and you add new stuff to it whenever you want? Yeah, I mean, I've never had that that pressure. You know, I mean, uh, if I'm doing a Letterman or a Fallon or something like that, I, um, you know, I've already, I already have stuff in the, you know, in the mix that I can, I can use. And a, 
I would never do a special or an hour unless I knew I was ready for that. So I never feel like, oh my gosh, I need an hour and I only have 35. I wait till I feel I have an hour before I go, hey, let's do a special or something. Sounds like bliss. <laughs> Speaking <laughs> of someone who's in the UK model of turning over an hour a year, you know, mm. that's a, it's a very different way of doing stuff. But, but I'm fortunate in that um, I just, you know, I mean, I, just, I, I like that. I like coming up with stuff. It's fun for me. I love, I love throwing new things out there. And so just gradually, just because I, I like it so much, you gradually turn the show over. What have you most recently cut and why? It's funny you ask it that way because it's always interesting to me that I'm very conscious of the new stuff I'm adding, but I'm much less conscious of the stuff I'm dropping because I don't feel like I ever draw a line through it and say, okay, that's it for that. It just falls away. It just falls by the wayside. You know what I mean? Because um, something else is engaging you. The newer things keep coming in and newer things keep coming in. And those are the things I'm most excited about saying the, the newer, the more fun for me. And so things just gradually fall by the wayside, but I do have the added way of doing it. When I do a special, when I record an hour of something, not just a special, a CD or something like that, then I feel like that's kind of that line in the sand moment. Okay. That comedy now exists. Um, and I start moving away from it, you know, um, it's hard to do it on a dime. That very next show can't be completely virgin snow, but, um, I know that comedy is now out there. It's about as baked as it can be. And now it's time to start replenishing. And do you have, are there, are there elements of a comedian's toolkit that you wish you were better at? Sure. Yeah. So what sort of things do you, cause you obviously have, you, your skill set is phenomenal. Well, no, I appreciate that, but you know, I, I, there's so many, you know, I look at <laughs> different people have different things that are just beautiful. I, I, George Wallace has a confidence about him that I just, <laughs> I'm so envious of, you know, he walks on stage and he just takes over. And I think that's beautiful. Um, if I'm walking out in front of a room, people, a room of people who don't know who I am, I don't have that George Wallace confidence. And then you have people that are very daring in a political sense. You know, they'll, they'll take positions on things that immediately cut your audience in half. Um, and, and I think that's admirable. Um, I, I, I'm not as good of a joke writer. You know, I can't sit down on a piece of paper and write a joke. I just, I don't know how to do that. And the, the fact that some people can do that amazes me, you know, like been in situations, Hey, we need a joke about socks. It's like, I, 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 <laughs> I can't do that. Again. <laughs> I can't do that. I can't write a joke about socks. <laughs> you, you can't give me an assignment like that. I would just stare. I would sit at a blank piece of paper for three months and go, I haven't thought of one funny thing about socks. But if I were happened to be like rolling up socks on my own and I thought of something, well, then that's another story. But anyway, so yeah, there are skills out there that other comedians have that are wonderful that I don't have. Are you happy? I am. Yeah. Yeah. I, I am so fortunate well, just career-wise, I'm very, very fortunate to be able to do this. I never take it for granted. Every time before a show, one of my favorite moments is standing backstage and peeking out through the curtain and seeing people out there. And you go, 
How did I get this fortunate that there's these people sitting in these seats? They have a ticket that has my name on it. Why are they here? You know, like I and the fact that they're going to allow me to come out and just say some goofy things that I think of and hopefully have a good time is, is pretty damn cool. Are there any difficult elements? Are there any like we think of stand ups? <clears throat> most of I, I'm, I'm pleased to say. You answered, yes, I'm happy, faster than anyone else I think I've spoken to in the life of this show. I always try and ask people that at some point, oh. sneak it in. And that's great to hear. I'm, I'm, I'm not pleased they're unhappy, but I'm pleased you're happy. But are there any kind of long night of the soul elements, or have there been in your career? Have there been moments when you've thought, this isn't working? Yes. Oh, many, many. Um, some, some, well, you, you get to where you get more and more consistent, you know what I mean? So you're going to have fewer and fewer of them, but I don't think you can ever just eliminate them altogether. Your bad moments. Um, I still have them, you know, uh, I might do a corporate show here or there where that audience, they don't have a clue who I am, you know, and, uh, <laughs> they'll bring that as a special guest. I'm like, please, please don't bring me out as a special guest. The only, <laughs> the only surprise is going to be that they have no clue who I am. Even when I get on stage, you know what I mean? Um, and sometimes you, you, comedy is a weird subjective thing. If people don't, if you don't con- make the connection, this stuff doesn't work. Your stuff sometimes doesn't work. Of course. Of course. Yeah. And especially when it is, when it can be sillier and goofier with act outs, it looks even worse. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because so, you've got to commit to the act I'm out committing, and they're not liking yeah, it. Yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, filling up this stage with nothing but silence. <laughs> I'm walking. Boy, this guy wants to bomb all over the place. He's bombing over there. He's bombing over there. He's making all kinds of visuals and SFXs, but we don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> Do you know Douglas Adams, the writer? Douglas, he wrote The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the English sci-fi comedy writer. I, I don't. I don't. He, he said a thing. He's I don't a, know anybody that I should know. Yeah. This is a, about the concept of uh, stand-up comedy. He wasn't a stand-up. He's a brilliant writer. But he, um, he said that he, he never got into stand-up comedy because once he was in a comedy club and he saw someone going, doing a bit about the black box flight recorders mm-hmm. saying, oh, you know, why, they're indestructible. Why don't they make the whole plane out of them? And he said, I just got really frustrated. He was like, well, obviously they can't because it'd be too heavy. It wouldn't be able to take off. <laughs> and at that point, I became disillusioned with stand-up comedy. The reason I, the reason I mentioned it, and to be honest, I love Douglas Adams. It's not my favorite thing he's ever said. That's but funny. I, I wonder, um, whether you need to take the position of a stupid person when actually you know better in your act when you're when you're kind of failing to understand how something works you're needing to take a position that's contrary to what you the person actually feel about that uh that's interesting because i don't know how it comes across to the audience all the time but you know when i talked before about coming back to the real person you know, I, I want the real person, the real me between the jokes so they realize, oh, maybe he's not quite as dumb as he just showed us. You know what I mean? So a lot of times I want these things to come off as fantasies where I'm exaggerating the feeling of dumbness or the anger fantasies. I'm exaggerating things that I had hoped I had done or wished I had got done. But the reality is we don't act like that. We feel like that. So... The, the humor is in the feeling and not in the reality sometimes. I mean, the, 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 the base of it is real, but the, we don't actually, 
do sometimes the things that we feel like in our in our minds. That's a great answer. Thank you. My, Thank you. My final question. I ask this of everyone. What would you have engraved on your comedy gravestone? Um, <laughs> my uh, ex-wife just made me laugh recently because I always say, watch my elbows because I'm always concerned that somebody is going to bang. If I'm holding a <laughs> cup of coffee, I'm always reminding my kids, watch my elbows. Don't hit my elbows. And we joked for years that that should be on my tombstone and have like little two tiny tombstone elbow pieces coming up. (laughs) And she said, which was quite nice. She said that way you could be making people laugh hundreds of years from now. They would walk up and see, watch my elbows on my tombstone and people would laugh. They wouldn't even know what the, what it meant, you know? So watch my elbows. That's my answer. Thanks. Thanks. So Thank you, Stu. Had a good I time, man. So that was Brian Regan. Thank you so much to Brian uh, for coming on to the show. Thanks to you for listening. Thanks, Daryl Smith, for his editing work. Thank you, Michael O'Brien, for setting that uh, setting that uh, conversation up as well. Very much appreciate that. I uh, hope you enjoyed that episode, Michael. Thank you for your help uh, throughout the year as well. Very much appreciated. So that is everything from the podcast. Remember all the tour news is at comedianscomedian.com forward slash tour. And you can donate at forward slash donate. I mean, that's obviously with comedianscomedian.com in front of it I'd love to have the domain forward slash donate but I think it's slightly above my pay grade um, I will chat to you if you'd like to hang around for the post amble um, but if not thank you for listening uh, and I have oh now maybe I can make I, I, do you know what if you're bothered listening this far you get a little treat I haven't officially released this yet I don't know if it's even on the Soho Theatre website yet but I have booked the next guests for the next um, uh, Soho Live Comcom pods so you know we have ellis uh james and john robbins and coming up we will also have the three other ones dates on the website don't have them in front of me now uh paul chowdhury paul chowdhury of what's happening white people fame gonna be lots of fun talking to paul he's talking to paul he's a very very funny man um and also jeremy hardy oh my god i've been in love with jeremy hardy's stuff forever he's someone i i genuinely remember listening to when i was like 17 and really learning it and kind of taping it off the radio and playing it back fantastic and of course one of the queens of comedy in this country at least joe brand is going to be my guest on the show as well joe is i mean she just she is part of every single narrative of comedy and alternative comedy in this country she's has been at the epicenter of comedy in this country for so long and is such a wonderful comedian and by all accounts a very generous and fascinating person so those are the other guests paul chowdhury jeremy hardy and joe brand get in quick they're in that order but i don't know the exact oh in fact i here we go i found them um it is 20th of february paul chowdhury 8th of May, Jeremy Hardy. 5th of June, Joe Brand. Those are all confirmed. I had someone else as well floating around, and that person is no longer floating around. I'm going to try and get them. God, I've just remembered someone else. I found out. Okay, okay. Too many exciting things to mention. Really, there's some really, really fun guests on the way. So look out for those. And uh, that's all for the podcast. Chat to you if you're hanging around in a moment. That's the big... Let's leave this in, Daryl. I think I feel like I often... You can hear my voice change, isn't it? <laughs> it's like, right, that's all the stuff that I've done. Now I can just, ah, oh, relax. I'm absolutely 
exhausted. I've been in the hyper zone all day. Uh, the hyper zone is mine and my partner's name for when you're just getting things done. Like, do you remember, and this isn't a, uh, an analogy she uses, but do you remember that episode of Futurama where they all get given a, uh, like a $300 tax rebate and F- Fry buys 300 cups of coffee and there's a little counter in the corner of the screen. goes ding, ding, and throughout the episode it's like 67 and he's gradually vibrating. And then I think it's 300 or it might be 600. The magic number, uh, there's a fire in the building and suddenly time slows down. He sees a hummingbird flap his wings and he just calmly walks around as everyone else is frozen in time. He sort of picks them up and takes them out of the fire. Rather wonderful. Um, it's uh, it's a bit like that. So I have just, I mean, if my voice sounds weird, that's where I'm at at the moment. I feel like I've been talking and performing and interviewing and writing and administrating all day. And I'm knackered. God, there is so much going on at the moment. There's just so much with the tour, with the, with the, the forthcoming Melbourne trip, with the dadding, all of the dadding to be done, all of the dadding to be done with planning the wedding. And, um, and me and my partner both, we're absolutely the sorts of people who, when there's a free moment in the day, five weeks from now, we'll notice it in the diary and go, Oh, there's a gap there. It's not that I'll try and fill it. It's that whenever anything comes in, I'll go, oh, I can't, uh, yeah, I could do it in that gap. Cause I just don't ever like saying no to things. If there's two people recently, I've had to not even say no, but just put something in the diary and then postpone and go, I can't do it. And you know what? I probably can't do it till May. And, um, I, I just feel terrible every time, but there we go. You've got to have some time to do stuff. So the things I wanted to talk to you about are very brief. There's only two little things really that I thought would be, um, that I thought you might enjoy. One, uh, is that Jake, a listener called Jake, I won't give his surname because I haven't asked if that's okay, but a listener called Jake said this on the, on the Facebook group and I thought I'd share this with everyone. You remember at the Edinburgh Festival two years ago, I did a little merchandise gimmick that never caught on. It was supposed to be an incentive to increase bucket donations, but um, it, you know, I don't think it particularly worked as that, but it was a fun thing to give away, um, which was the Comedians Comedian Podcast Access No Areas Lanyard. And it's a little, you know, it's, it's a little thing that says Access No Areas. There's various tarting up bits of design on it. And uh, so listener Jake keeps his, apparently, because <laughs> he's clinically insane, um, in the same uh, wallet in which which he keeps his uh, railway tickets and he showed his right oh, his rail card rather and um, he showed it to a ticket inspector who obviously also saw the access no areas card and Jake claims claims that the ticket inspector made the ticket inspector made a horse <laughs> sound i cannot believe that's the case because for that to be true for that to have been what actually happened the the ticket inspector must have been not only a listener of the podcast, not only a fan, but a listener of the postamble, and someone who was aware that that card existed. And who knew? I mean, you list, you're listening to this now. You probably don't remember that card existed. I can't believe it, but I got a ca- I got a I got a kick out of it. I'm not calling you a liar, Jake. Um, I just think your your eagerness to interpret what must have been simply a, a cough or a clearing of the throat uh, as some sort of uh, insider signal. No, I mean, I, I I mean, if the if it's the case, then. I'm absolutely thrilled. Of course, the real, as I put on the Facebook group, the baller move would have been if he then didn't check your tickets. We let you reuse it another time. That would have been cool. Guys, if there's ComCom listeners out there uh, who are in positions of power and you recognise other ComCom listeners, then you've got to do nice things to them. We're talking extra scoops in the ice cream tray. Uh, 
and we're talking about uh, letting each other off tickets. We're talking uh, crimes and misdemeanors being overlooked. I think misdemeanors are an American thing. God, I'm so tired. You could overlook crimes. You can, um, you know, we're, like cancel parking tickets. That sort of stuff. And equally, if you are a ComCom listener who is in a position of no power at all, then it's up to you to behave. <laughs> there we go it's a benevolent dictatorship but it's a dictatorship nonetheless so that tickled me and the only other thing i was going to say was and this is going to sound ridiculous this is this is maybe too candid this is the sort of thing that um one of my guests might say in an interview and then email me afterwards and go do you know what let's nibble that bit out you know i mentioned these these jack whitehall support gigs don't worry it's not salacious nothing to do with jack um i i mentioned these support gigs we did three at the oxford theater 1700 people each and uh, that war- they were huge, huge gigs to me. He obviously completely took them in his stride. He's an arena comic. For me, they are among the biggest audiences I've ever played. And uh, hugely exciting, enormously grateful for the opportunity. Had tremendous fun on all three of them. On the third one, I had rearranged my set beforehand. And uh, I'd done that specifically because, and this isn't a humble brag, this is a brag, there is a, a potential TV opportunity that I might involve, with which I might involve myself, um, which is an American one. I just spoke about this some months ago. I was umming and ahhing, should I go for it? I've decided to try and go for it. Now, it's not as clear as a straight offer, but uh, I apparently, one of the, the people who saw me, is able to work on a set with me and pitch it to this American show. Um, which, if I'm obfuscating deliberately, and it turns out months ago I mentioned it by name, all of you who listen to every episode, all the completists, they'll be able to go, oh, we know what this is, but maybe I kept it quiet then too. Um, so I decided to, in the middle of my 15, in front of all these thousands of people, I thought what I'll do is I'll open with this very, very strong reliable five and i'll close with this very very strong reliable five and in the middle i will do strong and reliable material in a slightly different order as an experiment in which i can for which i can record it and then see it then transcribe it and then pitch it to this american tv show all confident stuff not a new gag in there trying nothing respectful to the form respectful to the the opportunity to do support in this lovely environment dried <laughs> dried on stage now i i mean drying i think is, is an acting term i don't think comics even use the term drying because who does that who forgets what they're going to say next i did in front of 1700 people i don't think any of them noticed and what for me felt like a very long second indeed and this is some. this is in 12 years i've probably dried three times it felt like a very long moment. I was recording it for transcription purposes and quality and training purposes. I listened back to it. I completely got away with it. I just, I think in my mind, I said something like, so I, th- I was talking about my, I was talking about the baby and uh, I said something like, so I think that the, uh, the best thing about uh, having a baby is that uh... and then I got another thread it wasn't the bit I was going to do it wasn't what I planned to do but it was like oh no this well I'll just I'll just do this bit that's equally reliable and relatable bosh and I listened back to it it actually sounded like yeah so I think the best thing about it and you couldn't it was absolutely seamless completely got away with it everyone stand down but oh my god what a fun experience (laughs) there's the fun kind of improvising of jumping in not knowing where you're going with an, an idea and then there's a kind of a very different thrill ride, which is, oh, look at that, 17,000 heads. That's t- 
3,400 eyes. Is it? I just check that mouse in my head. 3,400 eyes. Got to be, hasn't it? Yeah. 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 That took too long, too long checking. Dead giveaway. Um, 3,400 eyes watched me have a very long second. It's quite interesting. I mean, maybe some of you, this is making your skin crawl. I, I enjoyed myself. And I... In many ways, what I'm going to take away from it, it was it was a victory. It was a victory for knowing that, hey, listen, I've been doing this long enough now. I can get myself out of trouble without anyone noticing. But what a, what a fun second it was. That's all for now. Um, I am going to get some sleep. Oh, my God. I've not done any specific dad stuff. I tried to, you know, I didn't want to sort of you know, cosh you over the head with all the, the dad stuff that's going on. The dad stuff with, you know, life, my life now. Um, but it was interesting. I did a, a gig today for BYOB Comedy that uh, was run by my friends Carly and Alyssa. And they, it's mother and baby comedy, or parent and baby comedy, 99% mothers. Uh, so it's during the afternoon. I've done a few gigs like that before. Me and Lucy Porter were kind of working on a, a model of doing that a little while ago, but uh, discontinued it. And uh, and so it's the first time I've done it in ages and the first time I've done it since becoming a parent and having a shed load of material about babies. And it was enormously joyful to uh, to be rampaging through this set. A very difficult, arguably a difficult gig. Lots of... Uh, uh, people, we talk about it briefly on the, the Rachel Paris interview that uh, I've recorded earlier today. Um, a very difficult situation with uh, every person in the room distracted by the new, brand new love of their life that they're worried they might accidentally kill. You know, now try performing to them. Um, but uh, a really fun experience. And I just, it was just fun to feel part of that gang. Generally, the dadding is going really well. It's just the time. It's just the time. How do you, do you get things done? Parents, email me or tweet me at ComComPod. Uh, you're getting things done. GTD. We all, we've all read GTD. I, mean, I, I bought a copy of Getting Things Done. Had it explained to me in Precy. And, and it, this sounds like a really trite joke, but it's true. I just didn't get around to reading it. But um, GTDFP. Getting Things Done for Parents. If you've got any tips, send them my way. Because... Uh, I suddenly feel like there's quite a lot on and barely a minute to spare. That'll do. I'm going to claw back some minutes. Speak to you soon. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.